You know, it's important to identify people who've made investments in our lives. Because we are, in many ways, the sum total of those who have poured into us. And so if you receive anything from me, you owe this man and his precious wife, Patsy, a real congratulations and, and a thanks. And Dennis, we are so honored to have you continue in our series this morning. Would you please welcome Dennis and Patsy, would you stand so we just recognize you as well? We love you. Bring it, bro. Thank you. <laughs> and if there's anything that you don't like about Tim, blame his parents. <laughs> I don't want any part of that. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Rhonda, you're not the only hugger in this building. Uh, Ron. Ron, raise your hand. Ron the hugging man. And I mean, it's like a big bear walking around. Just He was just, I watched him walk in, and as he did, he was just hunting down men to hug. And it was just sort of like, I thought, he's coming my way. I think I'm not going to be able to escape that. I didn't. He hugged me, and I got a back rub, too. It was all at once. It was kind of like hug, back rub, prayer. It was everything. Um, so after the service, if you need a back rub, go see Ron. That's it. Um, I, Tim, thank you for allowing me to be here. It's nice to know that as I'm speaking, you get to pause and uh, take a rest this weekend. And I know that you got a lot of other things on your plate as well. So as I get into the message today, I'm going to kind of start in a, a different place, and I'm going to end up where I feel like we need to be today, and that is I want to talk about prayer as a part of the pausing in your life. There are three kinds of prayers in the Bible. I mean, everything fits under these three. And um, there's prayers that have to do with asking. You know, there's all sorts of different words for that. There's intercession, there's supplication. Uh, there's, but they're always about us asking God for something, sometimes for ourselves, other times on behalf of others. Uh, collectively, we're asking something for God to do something. So there's asking kind of prayers. You know all those kind of prayers. You're asking God for something probably regularly in your life. God, help me get a really good grade on my report. Help me make an advancement in my career. You know, you know, and those are all fine prayers. There's nothing necessarily selfish about that unless you didn't study. And, uh, but there's, there's this asking kind of thing. Then there's another kind of prayer. This is the kind of prayer that we call listening. This is when you're not talking, but you're paying attention. It's what you do oftentimes during a message. There is this paying attention to what God is saying now. And many of us didn't know that that's a kind of prayer where we're paying attention to what God is saying. I always thought that prayer was me talking all the time. And that's why I never liked those all-night prayer gatherings. Because I couldn't think of enough to keep me awake. You know, there was always these sisters who were prayer warriors, and they would pray all night long and groan and all this stuff. And I'm just going, after about 45 minutes, I was completely out of stuff to think about. And I just said, God, I'm going to talk to you in my sleep. And so I would just, I'd just fall out. I was one of those, could you not watch one one hour? No, I cannot. I'm just one of those guys, okay? So, but... Prayer is not just asking God, it's listening to God when he is speaking. Now, oftentimes when you're asking, you'll stop and the Lord will speak. Some of the most profound moments of hearing God's voice have come after I've exhausted everything I wanted to say. I finally shut up and then God said what I needed to hear. 
So there's prayers of asking, there's prayers of listening, and here's a third prayer you may not even know exists. There's prayers of waiting. You're not asking, you're not listening. You're just present. Now, if you know what that prayer is like, I can tell you about, I can illustrate it uh, through relationships. Patsy and I, as last January, have been married 51 years. You can tell I married her when she was six years old. <laughs> Got to get it down as far as you can, honey. So, uh, but so we've been married 51 years. And here's what I've learned. When I was younger, I had an idea of what intimacy was. And as I matured, I grew in my understanding of intimacy. Now, after 51 years, there's a whole nother level of intimacy that I could not have imagined when I was younger. And here's what it is. I could describe it to you. We are in the same room, present with each other. We're not talking to each other. We're not listening to each other. We're just being with each other. And it's a profound sense of intimacy that when she's not present, I feel her absence. Some of you who are young in your marriage are thinking, thank God the other person's gone, right? <laughs> but hopefully you'll get to a place in your life where you'll get to experience the kind of relationship with another that their sheer presence is sufficient and you just rest in it. When God is hitting pause in your life, I think that kind of prayer becomes a very important part of that process. Because most of the time when God hits pause, we are praying prayers of why. Why is this happening to me? What, why is this going on? But the prayer of waiting is not having to have answers it's just having to experience his presence. When the psalmist writes in this beautiful passage of scripture, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Doesn't all of that language sound like pausing? In fact, it starts off with, he makes me lie down. There are times when God will interrupt your life because you need to lay down. You need to stop. You need to pay attention. And your circumstance, you cannot control it any longer, is forcing you to a place of rest. And then he goes on to say, after these wonderful attributes of God, he makes me lie down, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, all that wonderful language of who this God is. And then the psalmist turns the corner because when you have paused long enough, you turn the corner to say these words. For even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And now he's no longer going to describe God in the second, third person. Watch what he does. For you are with me. Everything about the psalm changes to now he's describing God to somebody, but now he's talking directly to God when he gets to that part. When God hits the pause in your life, he's forcing you to be still long enough 
so that you can experience his presence as being sufficient for everything in your life. See, the key is with me. The key is with us. The key is presence. And sometimes when you feel that God is absent in your life is when he actually is most profoundly present. But your fears have dulled your senses. And what is happening is you're having to have that stripped away so that you just get to experience that God is in the room with me. He's present in this moment. He's not absent. He works the night shift. All those kinds of phrases that come to your mind, that God is uniquely here. That's what waiting prayer is. It's when you finally get to a place when God has hit the pause button that you didn't request, now you learn how to hit the pause button. You learn how to do what God is doing in your life. He hit the pause button because of a, of a relational crisis. He hits the pause button because of a, of a diagnosis that you're having to work through. The pause button happens in all sorts of different ways that you, impacts you and everything gets put on hold. But the, here's the thing is, once you have been put on pause by God and you've discovered his presence is sufficient for you, here's what you're going to do. You are now going to build into your life of following Jesus the necessity of pushing that pause button yourself. And when God puts you on pause long enough for you to realize pause is a part of how I get through life. Pause is about how I get forward in life. Pause is how I get to the dreams that are in my heart. And now no, it's no longer an interruption. It's no longer something of a barrier to, but it's actually what is preparing you for something that your heart longs for. Pause. Listen to this passage of Scripture. You may have already heard it somewhere in this series. But it says, be still, you want to finish it with me? And know that I am God. Now that can be God speaking to you and saying, I'm putting you on pause, just stop it, be still. It could also be an invitation for you to say, I'm going to be still right now. And I'm going to experience God. I don't have to ask him anything. I don't even have to listen to anything as much as I need to be present for him. Okay, everybody, sit, sit up right in your chair. Lay your hands gently in a restful position upon your knees, whatever is comfortable for you. Because that means you put your Bible aside and all that. Quit holding hands with that cute girl. Uh, and then I want, you to, I want you to say this scripture with me. And as you do it, just breathe in what God is saying in this word. Be still and know that I am God. Say it again. Be still and know that I am God. Just rest in that. Now I'm going to read it from this point on, but I want you to rest in every phrase I use. Be still and know. Be still. 
be. That's a prayer that mystics throughout the church and people who've loved Jesus for a long time. It's called the bean prayer. It's just taking that passage of scripture and starting to hit the pause button. It's almost like staging your awareness of that God is in this moment and I need to step out of my busyness. I need to step out of all the demands in my life. I need to be still and know that he is God. I need to be still and know. I just need to be still. I need to be. It's this beautiful invitation to a slowing down of our life until we just pause. And the B is, in his presence, I am becoming more fully myself. I'm really realizing in those moments how deeply loved I am. How much God has an affection for me as someone he wants to just be with. You think of God being with you as a rescue thing. But what if God was with you because it's a love thing? What if his witness with you isn't about, I got to rescue you from all the, oh, I almost said a cuss word, from all the stuff that you've been in. <laughs> I'd evidently need some more bean here, don't I? <laughs> Be still and shut your mouth. <laughs> that would have been good. And be still and what? <laughs> Nobody would be been still for the rest of the morning, okay? But sometimes when we hear that, it's like, okay, I just need to quit being anxious and I just need to let God be in charge. And that's okay. But what if really what is going on is God's just wanting to be with you because he likes being with you. But see, we don't have a category for God liking us that way. Listen to Psalm 18, verse 19. He brought you out into a spacious place. He rescued you because, this is the phrase, get ready for it, you're going to love it, he delighted in you. Amen. He delights in you. He wants to be with you. Your picture is on his refrigerator in heaven. So I'm going to, that was the introduction. And I'm halfway through. But I want to talk about this pausing now that God is teaching us to pause. How do I join him on that in a regular basis? And this is the thing that's going to be so cool about what you're going to learn. You're already doing that. You didn't know it. I'm going to introduce you a passage of Scripture that's going to make you feel like a prayer warrior. And you didn't even know you were praying. It's the kind of text I've been looking for all my life. <laughs> and ready for this? Every 20 minutes you are hitting the pause button in your life and you didn't know it. Every 20 minutes God has worked something physiologically in your body to pause. And you may not even have been aware of it. But God is aware of something that's going on that now, if you become aware of it, you're going to recognize it's just God's reminder that pausing is a place for his presence. So let me take you to that text. 
just look at the person next to you and say, I'm really excited about this one, okay? And even if you're not, say it. Uh, <laughs> Psalm chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. This is the text we're going to massage for about 15 minutes. Give ear to my words, O Lord. That's that asking prayer, right? Consider my sighing. Now, that ain't words. How many of you have ever sighed in your life? (sighs) Did you know that was prayer? Get ready. Watch this. Listen to my cry for help, my God and King, for to you I pray. And when he says to you I pray, he's backing up to that entire verse. My cries for help, my signs, and my uh, and my give ear to my words, my asking, are all a part of prayer. I was going through a prolonged cancer journey this last decade, over about five years. And as I was going through all this treatment, my wife noticed something, uh, and she just brought it to my attention. It was an emotional, physical response to what I was going through. And she simply said, you sigh a lot. I've been walking down the hall and And I knew that it was just physically draining to go through this process. But emotionally, I was racked out too. I was just tired internally as well as externally. And then my wife says, you sigh a lot. When she said that, at first, I felt guilty. Okay, just one more thing I'm not doing right. And I knew that wasn't what she was saying, but I just kind of acknowledged, okay, I got one more shortcoming. I'm not prayerful enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm just a sire. But then I realized that my sighs were an expression of weariness, of depression, and desperation. And then all of a sudden, my sighs weren't just physical. They were these deep emotional responses to things that I hadn't put my arms around. There was a spiritual reality of that sense of how do I do life when I'm not sure I'm going to have a life. And that's when I came across that verse of scriptures in morning morning prayer. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sign. Oh, the psalmist was like me. He had that same thing going on in his life. And somebody could have said to David, you know, you sigh a lot. But here's what I learned. Immediately when I looked at that verse of Scripture, I understood that my sighs were acknowledged by God as more than shortcomings, but a form of prayer that I wasn't even aware of. It was wordless prayers. And my own response to this was teaching me that God had built into my life a pause button. And now I could build on that. The sigh. It's like our spirit already is speaking for us before we ever get the words, before it becomes conscious. It's like this deep, wordless expression that God understands as a form of prayer because it's coming from a place that desperately needs him. And I think the sigh 
is proof that what follows the sigh when you recognize it is not just a rambling of words, but something that's coming from a very deep place in our lives. Arthur Pink, was a theologian of the last century, said these words, So by prayer sighs, we mean those agitations and breathings of the soul which are virtually synonymous with groans. A sigh is an inarticulate declaration, an indistinct cry for deliverance. The saints are sometimes so opposed and troubled that they cannot find language suited to their emotions where words fail them and the thoughts and feelings of their hearts find expressions in sighs and cries. God makes intercession for us in wordless prayers. Now, we've used that as a beautiful metaphor of describing the value of speaking tongues. Romans talks about it and says, God's making intercession for us uh, with sighs. And it, and it talks about groanings. And, it, and there's such a beautiful expression, well, that's what praying in the Spirit is like. And it definitely is that. But actually, this is a wordless prayer. This is not only a prayer that you offer you don't understand in speaking tongues, but this is a prayer... You don't even have words for, but the prayer is happening. Dan Stewart, who was president of Life Pacific College, before that was uh, a young man. I brought as a young man, I brought him into Foursquare Family and uh, put him in a church. And he was getting placed in uh, a church called in Quartz Hill. And the people basically who were making up the Quartz Hill Church were all the people who didn't like me and left the uh, Lancaster Church. I came into a church that had a lot of history, about 60 people, and all of a sudden it grew rapidly, and people who had been there for a long time feel like they lost control. And, and basically they had. And, uh, and so basically, you know, they could never get their arms around me no matter what God was doing. So I just said, hey, let's go find another place. we got other four-square churches. Go someplace where you're not always been out of shape. And, uh, and they did. And they all went over to that church. And that's where he was going to become a pastor. And when that group of people heard that he was going to be a pastor because of his relationship with me, they said to him, we do not like this appointment. We're going to fight it. We don't want you as our pastor. Now that's a warm thought, isn't it? <laughs> and he says, and so he, he just said, I knew I have to meet with him. So he called me and says, Dennis, pray for me. I'm meeting with a council tonight. They're resisting my appointment. I'm going to try to see if there's anything we can work out, so I'm going to be meeting with the entire church council. It happened to be that night I was teaching an evening class at Life, uh, at that time, Life Bible College, and I was teaching an evening class on prayer. And I was talking to all the students, there's about 100 of them, and I said it was a large one of those large gathering classes, and I said that there are times when you don't have words and know how to pray. And as the old uh, spiritual would go... When you can't find words to pray, you begin, and I begin to groan, and I groan, groan all night long. I groan. Man, I'm starting to work it here. <laughs> Looked over at Ron, and he's wanted to come up and give me another hug. <laughs> I groan, and I groan. Okay, so, and it's that, it's that deep song that people who've been slaved. And understanding the dynamic of freedom that they weren't experiencing, there was something inside of them that was groaning. They were praying through that groan. 
And I got that group there, the Bible college students, that, uh, and I said, you're going to groan tonight. I don't want you praying words like, God, give them. No, I don't. We don't know how to pray about this. I just want you to sit there and go, oh, groan. Everybody just groaned for a few minutes. And there, you could just hear all these students got into it. People were groaning everywhere through that place. We were all groaning. I would pity the fool who walked in during that one, right? <laughs> but we were all groaning. I'm driving home, and he calls me and says, you got to hear what happened. I said, what happened? He says, I got to the church, and everybody was already there. I thought, oh, my gosh, they got here before me. I'm going to walk into, you know, people are going to just be hammering me when I walk in the door. He says, I, I'm walking down the hall, and I hear all this animated speech. And I'm thinking, oh, man. And he's just feeling badly the closer he gets to the room. He opens the door of the room, and all of these leaders are on their knees or laid flat on the floor, and they're weeping and crying out to God for forgiveness. They turn around and see their pastor. Oh, pastor! And they all run up and hug him. And they said, we came here to get together and to say, how are we going to get rid of you? And the Holy Spirit came upon us and said, we were out of order. We needed to repent because God had sent you. And so we are so sorry. We ask your forgiveness. I begin to groan and I groan, right? So this sign is that kind of groan. It's that summoning God into something I don't know how to even pray about. Now, let me tell you three reasons why you sigh, why you do that pause, that little... <sighs> How many know you sigh because of relief? Sure you do. Oh, good, I didn't get the ticket. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you get pulled over. Listen to what it says. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? I will sing your praise, for you have been good to me. That's when the psalmist is saying, I am having a sigh of relief. Sometimes your sighs are, thank God we're through that. We got over that one. Or you walk out of an appointment going, whoo, I got away with that one. <sighs> Every three months, I sigh. At a particular time. When they do a blood draw on me and they look for cancer markers. Every three months for the rest of my life, I have my blood drawn. And I have to wait a few days before they tell me what the score is. And as much as I trust God and everything else, I want you to know those are three very difficult days of my life. It's like every three months I get to go through a death and resurrection. And what happens to me, though, is when that score comes off, I can tell you what I do. <sighs> I sigh with a wordless prayer. My wordless prayer there is a, is a signal of gratefulness to God. That when I'm pushing the pause button, I'm not in control, but I'm thankful that he is, and I get to say, thank you, God. You sigh because you're wanting relief. And when you sigh like that, it's where you're discovering that goodness and mercy, in fact, is following you all the days of your life. You not only sigh for relief, though, you sigh because of regret. You know what that's like. Listen to what it says in Psalm 38. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. 
An altered definition of all my longings is that we feel this deep yearning for someone or something that's been lost, and now it's no longer attainable. It's distant from us. We sigh out of regret. What a stupid thing I did. We sigh out of regret because we lost something, and there's nothing we can do about it. So you say, it was interesting, when I looked at this psalm, I tried to get a sense of where David was at in his own timeline. And here's what I discovered. That the scriptures that talk about sighing that David wrote were during the period of time when he was hiding in the wilderness from Saul. And he was running from cave to cave to cave. And I understand that sometimes there is longitudinal suffering. It's this persistence. It's not a crisis. Listen, this last decade, nobody wants my last decade, okay? Unless you want the outcomes of what God does in your life. But no, I'm not praying this last decade on you. Five years of cancer, I'm now six months away from open heart surgery where I had a triple bypass. I did not see that one coming. I knew I had cancer for years before I finally got the treatment. But I never knew I was having a problem with my heart. I never got afraid of the surgery because I was still in shock that I was going to have surgery. I went in the emergency room. Next couple of days, I was in surgery. Now, when I look at what's happened in my life and I look back on that surgery, it looks like a speed bump. But it was a crisis. I mean, it hit me and it was there. And man, I mean, for a few months, that was all that was going on in my life. But now the farther I get away from it, the more it looks like a speed bump in the parking lot of life. But that cancer, see, that stuff keeps trailing after me all the time. The parking lot, that, that kind of speed bump or a crisis, it may go away, but the size of regret have to do with that longitudinal kind of pressure that you're facing, and it just seems like this is going to go on forever. And when we sigh here, what we are learning is this biblical a motif of how to respond to loss. It's called lament. Where the sigh of relief is, a, is an indication of gratefulness and overflow, the sigh of regret is where you are beginning to understand what it is to experience the loss. You're going through the early stages of what it is to be angry and denial, you know, all the kind of stuff of, you know, you're trying to negotiate whatever is going on, blaming, whatever. But the point is that what is happening in that side is lament is starting to become a part of your experience. And lament is the pathway to healing. You sigh because you're relieved. You sigh because you regret but most of you sigh all the time because of something else. You sigh for everything to get reset. All of us who have iPhones, or iPads, or I don't know how it works on the non-friendly world of other things, uh, but I just know that ever so often one of my softwares won't work on my phone and it's just coming out jumble. And basically, they say, turn it off, turn it back on, it'll reset itself. And for some reason, I'm trying to fix everything, I'm looking for cues and everything, it's just mainly turn it off, turn it back on, reset it. 
The kind of sighing that most of us do all the time is just God's way of resetting something. That something's been corrupted in the software. Something's being corrupted in the way you think and live about life. And God is in the pause when you're embracing it and you see what God is up to. He's just resetting things. He's not saying it's broken. It's beyond repair. You can't use this anymore. You need an iPhone, although I would like a new iPhone. The point isn't that. It's it's, it's basically he is resetting something, removing the corruption so that you function as the best you should be. Romans 8, 26, I referred to it earlier. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with wordless groans, sighs. Get ready for this. This This is like going to school. Normal breathing varies as far as volume and air intake and length of time. When our breath becomes too regular, it's not a good thing. Listen how this is interesting. When they first created ventilators so people could be cared for in that way, they discovered, they they based it basically on the fact that we're going to have a regular breathing, making every breath the same length and the same duration, the same volume. But doctors begin to realize that really regular breathing will cause the lungs to become stiff and less efficient. The lungs' air sacs get stuck shut, and eventually the lungs would collapse on our ventilator. I've been through a few ventilators in the last year. I was glad to hear what ventilators do now. They build into the regulators now size. Your ventilator size. Periodically, it changes the volume and intake because it's resetting something. When you sigh, whatever reason you are sighing for, whether it's negative reasons, discontent, frustration, confusion, whatever it is, when we feel those emotions, we are prompted to sigh, and God designed our bodies in a way that he built our own peace-producing stress syndrome to stress in our bodies by sighing. When you sigh, it helps regulate your breathing, and it lowers your stress. When you sigh, you're resetting your respiratory system. When you sigh, you're loosening your lungs, air sacs. When you sigh, it's bringing you a moment of relief. It's like a mental and emotional reset button. And you do that sighing at least every 20 minutes. You've sighed twice since I started preaching this message. (laughs) And depending how you respond to it, you may sigh again. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. This is the continuation of the verse I just read. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When I am sighing, I am... I did not know this, but now as I recognize it, I'm pushing a pause button. A pause button in my anxiety and my stress, a pause button for me to offer gratefulness for what God has done, or a pause button because things are just getting accumulated like debris in my life and I need a pause. By the way, 
Jesus' side. In Mark chapter 7, we read about Jesus looking up into the heavens when he was about to heal somebody, and it says he deeply sighed. And he was about to heal a deaf man who could hardly talk, but he starts with a sigh. And he didn't start with a sigh because all of a sudden he's thinking, oh, this is going to be a difficult one. I have to charge up my reactor. It wasn't one of those kind of things. He sighed because he realized what was in front of him was not what God ever originally intended for life. But sin had so corrupted the system that he deeply sighed over what wasn't true yet. And the scripture says he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephata, which means be open. And at this man's ears were open, his tongue was loose, and he began to speak plainly. I'm beginning to think that when I sigh, I'm beginning to learn what it is that I need to intentionally now, not stop involuntarily, but I need to intentionally include the pause button where I'm saying I need a prolonged sigh right here. Because I need to see God break through something that could be defined as blindness or deafness or whatever, that in my life I need to sigh. I need to pause. Let me read it to you again. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sign. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. We all sigh to get prepared for something fresh and new. Ever seen a baseball player walk up to a baseball, get ready to swing a bat? You watch them. They're going to sigh. They're resetting themselves. Ever watch somebody walk up to the free throw line? All the games are on now. Watch them do this. They're resetting themselves. Ever seen an artist walk up to a microphone, get ready to sing? They step back and go, We are resetting ourselves for what God is about to release through our lives. The home runs we're going to hit, the scores we're going to make, or the beautiful sound of a life being well lived. We are resetting ourselves to participate in all of what God is up to in and through us. Listen to this one verse. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy and crown will be on their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake him and sorrow and sighing will flee away. There will be a day when sighing will not be needed. But until that day, sighing is a part of what we experience. I want that little phrase, consider my sighing, to become a source of strength to you. When you don't know how to pray or what to say, you can still know that God is considering your sighing. And even when you can't put your frustration, your anger, or your doubt, discouragement, or grief into words, God hears and translates these low-frequency distress signals as prayer. And if you learn that, then you will posit yourself. Because you'll realize in that moment, that's the way forward. Ted Loder, in a, in a wonderful book called Gorillas of Grace, offers this prayer. How shall I pray? Our tears, prayer, Lord? Our screams, prayers, or groans, or sighs, or curses? Can trembling hands be lifted to you, or clenched fist, or the cold sweat that trickles down my back, or the cramps that knot my stomach? 
Will you accept my prayers, Lord, my real prayers rooted in the muck and mud and rock of my life? And not just the pretty cut flower, gracefully arranged bouquet of flowers prayer. Will you accept me, Lord, as I really am? A messed up mixture of glory and grime. And I would simply say to that, sigh. Let me end with a simple story, and I think your worship team would be joining you again right now. So worship team, go ahead and make your place. I'll end with this story. And thank you for your patience in my teaching. I see that I've gone over a little bit. I can hear your stomachs rumbling. <laughs> people, are, people are no longer sighing. They're smacking their lips. What the heck? That's a different message. That's next week. When you smack your lips, what does that say? Uh, I was sitting in a service like this, and the Lord says, I'm present to heal. And so we said that. The Lord is present to bring healing in your life. Right now, wherever you're sitting... What's going on in your life? There's healing that's coming right now to you. And then a young man in the back raised his hand and says, Pastor, the Lord's touching me. Can I tell you what happened? And it was during this time of prayer. He, I said, I knew him, so come on forward. This is a, a guy who was pretty young, and he ended up with um, that advanced form of arthritis that no matter what your age, it just cripples your hands. And he was a guy who repaired cars, you know, a body, a body man. And you can imagine the tools of his trade so hard to work with these crippled hands. But he also was an artist. He had played the piano for years and wrote songs, but now he could no longer play it because it was just too painful. He says, while I was sitting there, and he said, I was just sighing about the sense of loss I have and the gift that God gave me, and I couldn't do anything with it. And as I just offered this to the Lord, the Lord began to straighten my fingers out as I sat in the service. And the pain started going away in my hand. And simultaneous to that, the Lord put words in my mind. And he came to the piano. He came to the piano. Now, I'll try to pick it up in the key you're in. But he came to the piano and he said these words. Restore my soul. Lord, make every part whole once torn apart restore my heart that's my prayer my prayer today as you learn that God has built in a pause button in your life that it becomes so precious to you that you don't wait for the side you push the button yourself. He wants to restore our souls. He wants to restore our hearts. Pause long enough for him to do that in your life. God bless you, church. Just a few points of reflection. Dennis, pray for us. Is I the third point of reflection is that I think that when you mentioned that God is present to heal, that there was something that resonated in this room with those that need healing. I'm going to ask Dennis to pray a prayer of healing over us. The other couple points of reflection is that you know we as a church, as I'd mentioned earlier, have been using the course emotionally healthy spirituality. One of the things 
that we've been instructed in that course so beautifully through God's word is the importance of silence. In fact, even as we worshiped this morning, we just took that pause to wait before the Lord, to be still and to know that he is God. To be still. To be. We are all becoming. And God will use those pauses in our life. I love what Dennis says, not as a barrier, but as the way. As the way. The other reflection is that I believe that one of the things that God would teach us and instruct us is that when we're walking alongside others, one of the best things we can do is to join them in their sign. That sometimes that what they don't need is additional words. They don't need our best effort at coming up with two or three things that they need to do to fix the situation. What we need to do is to wrap our arm around them and join them in that sign. Perhaps I'm thinking of that because of Dolores' passing this week and just being with that family even last night and just grabbing their hands and just holding them and saying, you know what, God, God knows. God is present. He has not forgotten. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the demonstration of your grace. Lord, even in those moments of stillness. Dennis, would you just pray over us as a church as we're learning to be still? Would you just pray for that supernatural work of the Lord? Yeah. Lord, I thank you that as I said that very illustration, I saw a number of people immediately respond. And I wanted to say to you who immediately respond, that was your faith calling out. Yeah. You, were, you were recognizing that that was not a story, but it was a point for you right now. And if you were one of those, you're laying claim to something. Yeah. For others of us, it's where we get to, your pastor now calls you to a pause to receive a healing that you may not have known was available to you. So Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is present with us in this moment, who is uniquely present with each of us in our lives. I pray that you would invade that part of their need for healing with your health and your wholeness. I pray against, as we illustrated, the crippling effects of arthritis, wherever it may be, Lord, in our hands, our knees, whatever joints, that, Lord, there would be a release. It's almost like God is superintending something that's been crippled and now uncripples it. Lord, for those who may even have a disease in breathing, that somehow 
uh, they're, they're, they have this affliction on, their, affliction on their body and they're fighting some kind of cold or even a walking pneumonia or all that kind of stuff that makes us so pray to lose our breath. All the kinds of situations, Lord, that I could go through and name. I'm simply praying that you would be present right now and in the name of Jesus, please bring your healing to that person right now. And Lord, they will be able to recognize it. Bring it to a place where they will recognize that God has touched their body and that they will get to come and rejoice over what the Lord has done. Now, Lord, right here, right now, you move through this sanctuary. You move among these people like a, like a breath of God, just breathing over them and saying, receive your healing. Receive your healing. I pray for that, Lord. And for those who are receiving the healing now, but it's almost like a time lapse it's something that they begin to recognize over the next few hours or even days that they'll point back to this moment where God engaged them with a healing presence. So we thank you, Lord, for your healing. We welcome it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.